the club expects their golf pros and their assistant pros to make sure everything's perfect. We want a club pro that can play like Tiger, teach like Butch, uh, merchandise like Ralph Lauren, and tell jokes like Bob Hope. But it is absolutely the problem is the amount of pay for the amount of work doesn't mesh. For clubs, if you don't make these changes, you're not going to get the people you want. Your product is going to suffer. People are not going to want to come play there. They're going to go elsewhere, and you're eventually going to go out of business. Is Seth Waugh helping? He's the right guy in the driver's seat. But is there a vehicle he can drive that can make it any better? People are put on earth to make everybody's lives better, right? Like, how can you not want to be surrounded by those people, right? And um, and that's what a PGA professional is. You know, it's not perfect. We're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. We're moving the needle, um, making a lot of progress. And uh, I hope people are, are noticing it, but that's not the point either, right? The point is, is leaving the room better. And, and I'm going to keep fighting to do that every day. Another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired Welcome to the Fire Pit with Matt Janella. We're back for the fifth episode of this podcast series on the Club Pro Crisis. This week, we're looking at it through the lens of the PGA of America's Professional Golf Management University Programs one of two paths to becoming a PGA member. For more on both paths, go to pga.org forward slash membership. In a four and a half to five year program involving classroom courses, paid internships, and opportunities for player development, there are currently 17 nationwide universities that offer these PGM programs while students simultaneously get a bachelor's degree in marketing or business administration, hospitality administration, recreation, and park management. One of the participating universities is Penn State, and today we're talking to Dr. Brian Soule, an associate teaching professor at Penn State for 15 years. You'll hear Soule say that for the 100 to 120 students in their program, they get five to eight internship offers per student. If you missed part one, you missed some history of club pros from people like Butch Harmon. The old days, when you got a good job, you just stayed there forever. And the members treated you like a member. You, you were great with them. And so I think what's evolved now is the clubs own all the amenities. They own the pro shops. They own the carts. They own the bag rooms. They own the driving ranges. Pros are paid a salary and a little percentage of stuff. So it's, it's a different incentive world for guys to get into business. <laughs> you know, the pe- people say to you all the time, well, you've been a golf pro your whole life. When you were a club pro, you must have played a lot of golf. No, not really. You're always working. You work every holiday. You work every weekend. It's a hard job. Now you have corporations own these clubs. They got the pros punching time clocks. You know, well, if HR says you can only work 40 hours a week. Well, heck, we, we being a golf pro my whole life, I turned pro in 65. We worked the sun. When the sun was up, we worked. When the sun went down, we went home. That's not the way it is anymore. It's a totally different environment. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's not the one that I grew up in and the one I lived in. We've heard from Rick Riley of Wilshire Country Club for over 30 years, whose father is in the PGA of America's Hall of Fame. It's a great place to be, but, you know, once again, you got to put in the hours. Um, You got to have a love for it. 
I mean, my dad always said there's to, to be a good PGA professional, you got five points. You got to be a player. You got to be a teacher. You got to be an administrator. You got to be a rules expert. Probably most importantly, you have to be a people person. You cannot survive in my side of the business if you don't interact with people well and take care of people. And we've heard from Shane Ryan, author of the Golf Digest story entitled The Club Pro Crisis, which was published in May of 2022. Ryan on the harsh reality of the industry. It felt like I was learning on one hand about an industry that is fundamentally broken in terms of the working conditions that club pros exist under, uh, that there is so much demanded of them, that there is a system in place where this was, you know, I won't say it was fine with people, but it was standard and it was expected. And all of a sudden, a new generation is coming up saying, we don't want to work like this. Uh, and so, you know, places are losing their pros, um, but they're faced with a reality where to meet the to meet the standards of what people how they want to work now saying okay maybe you you know you get a weekend off once in a while maybe you only work 50 hours a week instead of 70 or 80 it would mean hiring more people and that's something that they don't want to do for obvious reasons right because that affects their budget and their bottom line but the reality is the clubs who are not doing that are falling behind because either they can't fill positions or when they do fill positions they're not filling them with the best people uh, and so you have this unbelievable sort of schism between what is expected, whether you're, you know, the board at a club or you're the manager of a club versus what is the reality uh, of what club pros want to want to do with their jobs. And so we're, the, the gap between it is so wide and it got worse during the pandemic. And it's hard to see sometimes how it gets better. Meanwhile, in part four, Seth Waugh, the PGA of America's CEO since 2018, talked about what he's doing to try and leave the room better than he found it. I think we've flipped the prism on the game. And I think, you know, the greatest thing about what's going on right now, Matt, is um, the game has had its ups and downs for sure. But for the first time in its, its, its history, golf is cool. And golf's never been cool, right? And, um, and that's awesome. And, and we need to make sure we continue to promote that, right? And you have all these different ways to consume it now, right? You have Top Golf, you have Putt Putt, and all kinds of different forms. You've got, you know, simulators. You've got, and I, again, I've always believed, like, you know, if you go shoot hoops in your backyard, you played basketball that day. It wasn't five on five with refs, right? But it was, it was, it was hoops, and um, and so. You know, if you putt on your carpet today, you played golf and, um, and, you know, and you took a, you know, check out your swing in a mirror. It's like you played golf that day and we got to embrace it in every form we possibly can. Part threes, you know, three holes, you know, hitting balls on the way home. Like, yes, like we're for all of it every day. Anything that is good for the game is ultimately good for our professionals. And, and, um, and so we're going to promote it in every way we can and, and celebrate it. Before we get to my conversation with Dr. Soule, and we hear from one of his former students, I want to thank a few sponsors, starting with AG1 by Athletic Greens. Nutrition made powerfully simple. You've seen the ads. It's your daily supply of nutrients and gut health. I drink it in the morning before a cup of coffee. This is my answer to trying to stay healthy and active. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash fire pit and you'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free packs of AG1. And then there's Dormy Workshop, an incredible golf family business based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where all they do is make quality leather head covers and accessories. 
I found the Bishop Brothers at the PGA Merchandise Show about 10 years ago. I've been promoting their people and products ever since. Go to dormyworkshop.com and use promo code FIREPIT15 for 15% off your next purchase. Or go to the pit shop at firepitcollective.com and order one of our Dormy gift boxes, which includes a new Fire Pit head cover and matching Dormy stash bag. Plus, you get a Fire Pit sweater, hat, and t-shirt. My name is Brian Soule. I'm a PGA professional and an assistant teaching professor at Penn State University with the PGA Golf Management Program. I've been here for 14 years. This idea that there is a club pro crisis, do you buy into that uh, concept? I think so. I think um, in the past decade or so, we've seen a huge shift from golf facilities um really being able to to pick and choose their employees and and really get a lot of applicants for for great positions uh and in recent years we've seen that flip so at penn state we have about 100 to 120 students and we're getting between five and eight positions posted with our program per student just for internships so we have um up to a thousand facilities that'll contact us each year asking for access to our 100 students. So the industry clearly is, is hungry for, for good new talent. Um, and we're, we're starting to see the benefits of that for our students, which is great. You know, it's giving opportunities for, for them to pick and choose the best jobs in the, in the industry. But that's on the flip side, you know, your, your green grass facilities specifically are the ones who are struggling because they're struggling to find really good qualified help. And yet, I'm also hearing and reading about and learning about PGM programs closing all over. You know, you know, at at one point there wasn't a lot of them. Then there was yep. a lot of them, and now there's less of them. Mm -hmm. There was an influx of programs. So Penn State was one of the first four, and that was a that was what it was for for decades until the early 2000s. It took off. I think at the peak there were 20. PGA accredited university programs. Now we're down to 17 and it feels like that's a leveling out. I'm a Clemson graduate and we're the, the most recent uh, program to, to close was Clemson University. It was kind of the perfect storm there of, of the COVID crisis of rising costs in higher education, right? And them looking for programs that were a little bit under enrolled. So I think we're probably at a leveling off now. We're starting to see an uptick in student enrollments across the country. So I'm hoping that that means that that kind of the level that we're at right now is is where we'll stay for the for the foreseeable future. From the time that you went to Clemson to what you are now teaching, how has the education of the club pro, the the PGA pro, um, evolved in your mind? That's a good question. It. So I graduated in 2005 from Clemson. The PJ's curriculum back then was training very specifically for the students to become Greengrass head golf professionals. So we were studying merchandising, teaching the game, customer relations, and there was even a test mat of, of physically going to a lab, pulling apart a golf club and assessing somebody's grip size and rebuilding that club. 
and somebody was watching you put pull this thing apart, put it back together. You actually had to train to do club repair back then. So what we've seen in the the past decade, let's call it, is an advancement in the education where they've dropped some of the more very traditional club pro education and they've become much more specialized. So what we're seeing now is that we've got students who are tracking very specifically just saying early in their college career, I want to be a teacher or I want to be a tournament director or I want to be a merchandiser. And they've, they've, I think, built a really good education program now where they're really specializing and allow, allowing people to pick and choose their path a little bit more specifically rather than pushing everybody into that old school green grass golf pro kind of mold. Which is cool, but also does that does that make it tough on PGM programs then because you have uh, a, a sort of a splintered set of 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 teaching going on and then how do you have a program to get enough students in each one of those different verticals right like you got to have teachers in those different yeah. verticals. then you have to have enough students <laughs> to justify a splintering of those verticals is that also kind of part of the problem too no i think it's been a, a pretty cool change so each of the university programs kind of has its own strength right so at penn state we're located in the Northeast. Most of the facilities that our alumni go to are private facilities, typically upscale private. So we're able to kind of cater the way that we deliver the PGA's education towards that. But then also we have an amazing on-campus facility. It's a three-day, uh, three-bay teaching and coaching center that has force plates and 3D motion capture technology. So we've had a plethora of students in the past five to eight years really go down that teaching path because we're well outfitted to to deliver that part of the curriculum. I think the other programs each have their own strength. And that's where when students are thinking about which program do I want to attend, which university do I want to go to, we tell them visit campus. You need to see it. You need to meet the people. You need to see what their expertise um, you know, has to offer. And, and that's, I think, part of the process is, is early on choosing the right university for you. So we're um, each each program definitely has a niche. Bob Ford, go back to Claude Harmon, and mm -hmm. and now you know now guys like Rick Riley at Wilshire, who's been there over thirty years. You know, um, do you, do we do you think that that kind of figurehead, mega mentor, you know, multitasking, you know, leader of a of of a golf shop uh is is that a dot is that literally kind of like about to be extinct and it's going to be this collection of specialists that may be overseen by a quote director of golf or a president of a club or something is that is that ultimately kind of where we're where we are or where we're headed i hope not because and i don't think that we're going in that direction because enough of the new generation is being mentored by the bob fords um the tony pancake at, at crooked stick scott and i at marion golf club these folks are so good with people and they've trained their assistants who have then moved on to become head professionals mm. to kind of have that same that same way about them of running a facility being the figurehead being a mentor um 
So what's been really fun for me, I've been here for 15 years almost at Penn State. Now some of my earliest graduates are in those positions. Mm. Um, so they're in their mid, coming up on upper 30s. A great example is a gentleman by the name of Jack Davis. He's the head professional at Essex County Club. Really cool Donald Ross just north of Boston. He's just got a great program up there. He's got a good group of assistant golf pros. He's got a great internship program. So I think that's not going to die because those facilities need those types of people. They need those figureheads. They need, you know, in a way, they're kind of like the heroes of the golf industry. Um, and I think that that's going to stay healthy. There are plenty of folks who want to go down that path still. But then there are also people who are like, you know what? That's not for me. I don't want to be on property Saturday and Sunday and every single holiday. I want to be able to keep my own book, right? So I'm going to go down the teaching path or I'm going to work in New York City for an apparel company like Polo Ralph Lauren and and um, have a more normal work week. So I think um, you're still going to have plenty of folks who who go down that traditional path and knock it out of the park. My name is Jack Davis. I'm the head golf professional at Essex County Club in Manchester by the Sea, Massachusetts. Um, amazing old club. It's the sixth club in the USGA. Don Ross was actually the head pro here um, over a century ago. Uh, it's top 100 club. It's a really, really wonderful place. Elite golf program, elite tennis ra uh, rackets program. I've been head pro here now. This is my seventh year. And I worked for Jack Drew at Shinnecock for eight years prior to that, two of which were internships when I was finishing my time at Penn State through the PGM program. Davis also did a few winters in Florida, Jupiter Hills for three years, and worked for Bob Ford at Seminole for one season. This is a portion of my conversation with Davis. The PGM program that yeah. you went to, that you are now probably getting interns from, or PGM programs. Of course, how, yeah. How do you think that's that sort of the program then and now has evolved? The numbers are way down, for sure. Um, I think that, and I'm really involved with like the alumni and I talked to Brian and Birch and I'm very much like a hands-on alum. Um, each of the schools is different, right? They're offering different education and different geographic area, but the PGA is trying to centralize everything. And I think it's really difficult for some of the universities to get done what they want to get done at a bigger school like Penn state, where you're fitting into a really large ecosystem and, and PGM is such a small part of that. It's hard to get things done. Maybe at a different school like a Methodist or um, a Campbell where PGM is a bigger portion of your student base, you've got a little bit more leverage as to programming, curriculum, stuff like that. But I think the PGM programs are really trying to get students and the PGA is trying to help the PGM programs recruit. But as this whole podcast series is about, the article in Golf Digest is about, other than golf being in a great place on a broad scale, I think it's hard for high school students who know what they might be getting into to sign up for it, if that makes sense. Because the idea of loving golf, like when I was growing I grew up in New Jersey, and when I found out about PGM, I thought it was someone was lying to me. I was like, how can this really be what I can go to college for, let alone a place like Penn State? And it was an incredible, incredible experience for me. And it's still, you explain where you went to college and what you did. And people are still like, that's a major. I'm like, yeah, it's a major. It's great. And I worked at all. I mean, I worked at Spyglass, a Pebble Beach company. I worked at Plainfield Country Club. I worked at Shinnecock. I worked at these great places. Um, 
And I was so driven and the students around me, the class above me, the class below me, my peers were so driven. Um, and it feels different now. It feels like it's almost a, um, a waiting program. Like people do PGM because they enjoy the game of golf and then they're going to transition to a different major or they're going to quickly transition to a different career path or maybe a different career path within golf. It doesn't necessarily feel not through the fault of the PGM programs, like you're creating 40 head pros a year. It seems like you're creating one head pro a year and then other people who will have golf as part of their life for the rest of their lives. What are your thoughts on, on where we go from here? It's interesting. I wrote a paper that I presented to the executive committee at the club here that was about 4,000 words. That was essentially the state of the golf business and particularly how it relates to Essex and my life and, and our team's lives. And that was six months before the club pro crisis article came out that came out and the club president here sent that article to me and said, you beat them to the punch. But I think a lot of us beat them to the punch, right? It was an amazing article. It was, I can't tell you the chatter that that created, but now that chatter has gone. Um, or at least certainly muted compared to where it was. I've been listening to your podcast and I think that everyone has really good points. It's, it's an odd situation that the PGA of America while advocating for us, isn't our bosses. They're not our bosses, right? So any gains that I might get at Essex, whether it relates to my own situation or my team situation, our facilities, whatever those might be, that doesn't necessarily help the professional next door, um, right? There is no union. There's no guild. We have to fight these battles, if you will, very quote, fight these battles on a million different fronts every day. So I think it's, the more that we talk to one another, the more that our members, again, I work at a member-owned club, so the more that our members and the board here are hearing these situations, the better. In general, what I've seen is that when they are made aware of a problem, they're very empathetic and they want to act. I think a lot of the problems that the golf business is, is facing, some of them are institutional problems. Like people play golf on the weekends. People play golf on holidays. We've got to figure out a way that me, the head pro, I don't need to be here on every weekend and every holiday. But there are some things that are kind of intrinsic with the golf business. But I think if we can communicate with data and eloquence to the people who are making decisions, whether it's a membership, a, an ownership group, a, a board, whatever it is, they want to help us. They, they do. Um, but for generations, I don't think that they knew um, what the problems were. And I think there was a badge of honor of how many hours a week could work. So if we as golf professionals were saying my 75 hours a week beats your 70 and I must be a better head pro, if that was the culture, as Chandler has alluded to, how are our bosses going to be there to help us if we're bragging about how much we work? And now I want to do the other way around. I want to be the head pro who says I work 40 hours a week. And then tell my friends how I can do that. Now I'm far from that, but we've got to fight these battles on every single little front. Um, and we've got to be honest with our bosses. And we have to be honest with ourselves. The next generation, do you see that there might be more of you coming and, and staying and pursuing a position like you've, you've worked hard to to get and 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 are are 
are immersed in as we speak? I think my generation, as I'm sure every previous generation thinks, I think my generation, I'm 35, I think we're kind of the flex point because a lot of my peers and friends, people within a few years of me, we were able to learn from the greats, the Jack Trugas, the Tony Pancakes, the Scott Nyes, the Bob Fords. We saw what the classic great American golf pro looked like. And now we're seeing the interns that I'm hiring who are 18 to 22 and my young assistants fresh out of school. We're seeing the golf business through their perspective, but we were trained in a much different perspective. So I think what I'm trying to do is be the connection from those greats, if we can call them that, those greats, and translate and modernize the golf business to make it attractive for someone who's 22. Make it attractive for me because I don't want... Again, at 35, I hopefully have a long career ahead of me, but sustainability is important because I would say the work-life balance that I have now, I can't do this for 25 more years. So, but I've taken the viewpoint of, I'm gonna try and make it better. I'm gonna try to be part of the change, even if it's in my own little world in my facility and make the younger interns and assistants feel like there is hope and change and progress happening because I rather, I rather give myself and my family, my wife's a golf professional who works here with us, I rather give us a chance here than say it's never going to change and, and bail, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I'm, and I'm, I consider myself one of the very lucky. I, I work at a great club, very comfortable. We, I'm one of the lucky ones. And we say to ourselves all the time, how, how could this be possible if you weren't in – some of the positions we're in. Do you and your wife have kids? No. And that's, um, yeah, we own the golf shop here together, which is a great uh, benefit for us. But my dog's in the golf shop. My whole life is here. And as we think about the next step in our lives, there's certainly the, how does that happen? And unfortunately I haven't worked for many people that have kids or have, um, I need better examples, I would say, on how to handle that because um, I can't be an absent father. I don't think that having kids because that's what you're supposed to do is, a, is fair to people. Are you hopeful? I am hopeful because, A, I have a partner in this, in my wife, that makes me feel even more invested and more support. I'm also hopeful because of where I specifically work because I do have a wonderful membership and in general, a lot of empathy. How far can I push what this position is? I don't know. But the same way that I presented a paper to the board a few years ago and said, we can't continue down this road. We made progress from that. We really did. Um, my staff salaries, the size of my team has grown. We are making progress. But this can't be it. Um, the club or any club can't think that what they did the last two years to make it better is it, as I'm sure every industry needs to think about it. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm not jumping for joy, overly optimistic, but I'm hopeful and it's worth it. It's worth fighting for. There might be a day where 20 years from now, you are that head pro that's been at your club Mm -hmm. for 35 years or whatever, and you had an impact on making sure that that 22-year-old intern that you have now has a path to having that same type of 
Bob Ford, Jack Druga, Tony Pancake situation, mm-hmm. right? That's possible. That's the hope. I mean, there's nothing. I had an assistant pro, Alex Hoyos, who became a head pro at Essex County Country Club, funny enough, in New Jersey. Um, those are the proudest days, really, in a head pro's life is when an assistant who works for them becomes a head pro on their own. That's a really proud day, and you hope to have a roster of those. But you've got to be there a long time, and you've got to be at a great facility to make that happen. So, again, hopeful, um, certainly hopeful. But um, seven years in, I don't know if I've got another 30 years at this rate of work um, and life work-life balance. Because, as you mentioned, you say – you know, that those people are known for making great assistant professionals into head professionals. Those people are also known for being great husbands and fathers and active in their community and coaching their kids sports leagues. And um, that's got to be just as important to us because um, being completely devoted to your craft and devoted to your club, while great for the club, might not be the most healthy thing for the individual. Safe to say Essex County Club, his staff, and the industry in general are lucky to have Jack Davis. Not to mention his wife, Amanda Davis, who graduated from the PGM program at Mississippi State in 2013, worked for Peter Millar, and was an assistant at Friars Head on Long Island. Amanda has been at Essex for six years and has agreed to be part of Episode 7, a wrap-up which will include several more voices based on everything they've heard throughout this series. But for now... It's back to Dr. Brian Soule. Rick Riley actually said, look, professional golfers tend to be takers. Club pros, PGA pros are givers. What are your thoughts on that kind of summary of the two separate sort of paths of, of the professional game of golf? Yeah, nothing's black or white, right? You know, you watch anything about the the top level players they're trying to get back in in any way they can but um i think if you're going to be again a traditional golf professional working at a at a public course or at a resort or at a, a private club you have to care about other people your job is to make people happy every day and so you and your staff better be ready and better have have everything in place to deliver great programming to make sure that when people show up, like when you go to Bandon Dunes, right? I know that's your your happy place. It's not just the golf courses, right? It's seeing shoe when you when you arrive and it's spending time in the golf shops talking with with the golf professionals and then spending all those hours with the caddies. I mean, that's what the profession's all about is making it so that this this trip that you've been looking forward to for two years that you've been saving for for 10 years is everything that you wanted it to be. And a lot of times it comes down to the people because the golf course is going to be great no matter what. So yeah, I think I think golf professionals, the really good ones, have a great way with people, a great way of making them feel special, whether it's in the golf shop or on the lesson tee or going out and playing some golf with them. And that's, you know, that's what we try to nurture is, is help people kind of learn some interpersonal skills so that when they get into the industry, they can make somebody's day. This work-life balance that may have been an issue pre-COVID certainly became an issue during COVID. And now that uh, golf is, you know, continues to stay 
popular and we've got this rise in in energy around not only green grass facilities but all you know sort of non-traditional golf facilities women kids you know everything is going in the right direction meanwhile the club pro or the pga pro uh you know it was sort of like run over i mean they were just just or held yeah. held under water I, I talk about that sort of like paddling out you know a, in a hawaiian surf break and it's like it just feels like the club pros just can't get past the break to to to, to breathe again um where are we at in your mind here as we you sit you know you know eight essentially april 2023 i think that article was big right last year the club crisis i think that put a spotlight on on the challenges of the industry i think club owners boards of directors pga of america leadership usga leadership i think they all saw that and, and took it to heart because there was a pretty good good outcry and social media outcry after that um what i've seen in the past five years or so and, and i think this came obviously pre-pandemic it was kind of status quo pandemic it was every man for yourself try to survive um and then i think post-pandemic what we're starting to see is golf facilities and golf professionals who realized that they were getting burnout they were getting people dropping out of the industry and going into different professions they had to make some changes um so we're starting to see different models so there's um one model that jim smith at philly cricket club has and that is all of his part-time employees are four tw 10 to 12 hour shifts per week they get three days off per week but they're still putting in 50 hours right i'd call that balance you know when you're talking about the industry so that's a that's a pretty cool model and there's other clubs um that that have upped their budget for um for personnel and they've got more assistant golf professionals now than they ever have before with the goal of it being a more normal work week because i think the the new generation and the students who we're teaching every day here at penn state and all the other universities they're seeing the industry and they're saying all right you know do i want to be there 50 60 70 hours a week and remember guest week you're going to be that's just mm -hmm. inevitable um but are there some facilities that are going to offer something a little bit more more balanced yeah and if those facilities are doing that that's where the students are going to go and if you're not doing that eventually you're going to be left in the dust so i'm pretty excited about it because i think um i think there's no way golf facilities can't adapt at this point especially with all those leaders making some changes to this point in my reporting, which started in October of last year, I've interviewed 14 people for this podcast series. I've heard from at least 50 more who are or were PGA pros. I'd estimate half of that sample set have left their post as pros or assistant pros for an alternate industry. This is the tragedy of when this happens in the golf business, right? We see people who go into the industry and they have such promise and such charisma and such skill and they get into that white water they can't can't get past the break as you say and they get out of the industry and these are the people who we were most excited about being leaders and they they just get they have a moment where they sit down with with their spouse and they say is this worth it 
Is there another option for us? No. And that's where if we don't see a change in the industry, I think we're going to have more of these casualties. And I hope to hell it doesn't happen. You know, I hope that that these, you know, the young talent is able to to find the balance that they need to be really good at what they do, um, get all, all the fulfillment, but then be able to go home at night and throw the ball with their kid, you know, and not miss every dance recital and every game. And I think that there's a path now for that. And I'm, like I said earlier, I'm optimistic about it. I really am. So essentially it was, it was an awareness issue. And by virtue of a Shane Ryan article, social yeah. media, you know, idiots like me saying what I said and how I said it, which then causes another wave of kind of, uh, of, of education, you know, I, I mean, seriously, I mean, yeah. You know, I here I here I'm I've been in the golf industry for decades, you know, and I just I just wasn't aware of just you know the the, the how bad it had gotten, and that that to me was exact like so that to me was an exclamation point on the idea that this literally was an awareness issue. Awareness issue. You have selfless, humble givers of the game that aren't good at promoting themselves or pounding their chest you know look at guys like bob ford or rick riley or some of these other names that you've talked about they're, they're not going around like you know honking their own horns it's just not happening so so that that awareness issue has in 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 your mind is being addressed and that's why you feel so positive and 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 excited quote excited about it yeah, and I'll say one other thing, and, and this may upset some folks, but that's okay. 55% um, of PGA professionals are 55 years or older. So there's an old school mentality that I think was perpetuated forever in this industry. And I'm hoping that, that, that the changing of the guard allows for the younger generation of PGA professionals to say, you know what, the way we've always done it isn't right. We need to change it. And I'm excited for that. I think that that you're seeing some young minds come into the industry that are that are fighting for you know for some more balance. I think that's a really good thing. Seth Waugh, what are your thoughts on him, his involvement, his impact, and uh, and and sort of you know how he's how he's you know trying to address a quality of life issue for his membership. I've been through, I think at this point, it's three or four CEOs of the PGA of America. Seth has been one of the more exciting ones that seems to seems to have the better interest of PGA professionals at front of mind rather than the bottom line of the PGA of America. Mm. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed his leadership. I think the thing that's that's interesting about the setup of the PGA, right? You've got your um your executives but then you also have your board of directors who are the pga members right and so the, it's an interesting balance between um leading the ship of this massive organization pga of america but then also working with your board of directors you know and and the individuals who are in charge of that so john linder don ray nathan charns those are the three who are in charge right now and that's kind of with each president, there's something new that I think um, each president's going to fight for. 
um, I think Seth Wall's done a really good job of of balancing his different roles. It's been it's been great under his leadership. Susie Whaley, I was what a spoke, game changer! Game changer, yeah, a force of nature. Mm -hmm. I've always been a fan. I you know I've crossed paths with her from time to time. Uh, interviewed her, and she just jumps off the screen. I mean, she is like. She is relentlessly motivated to make changes in pathways for females, girls, for the game in general. I was like, what can I do to support whatever it is that you're doing? I mean, yeah, what? Unbelievable. Right. And to see like the change of perception once she was president of the PGA of America of the role that women play in the game of golf and the opportunities for women in golf. We see it at the university, right? Because we get women who come through our program and I receive calls and emails weekly saying, we need a really strong woman to join our program for X, Y, or Z, right? There's such a demand for women in this industry to, to take roles that, um, that have opportunities to just explode and just, you know, create such a great career. Um, Susie was, was such an advocate, always will be an advocate for women in the game of golf for, um, for different individuals from different backgrounds and minorities. And, um, I think because of her presidency and because of her leadership, we're starting to see an uptick in international students, students from different backgrounds, women, um, thank God for her. Next up, Susie Whaley. You know, men are still the employers at most clubs, backed, and people typically hire who they look like, right? And we need more women promoted, we need more women elevated, and we need more clubs to think about women running their facilities, um, not just as general managers, but in head golf professionals positions and directors of golf. Um, that's not a lot. We have some, you know, we have some directors of instructions at high-end clubs, Joanna Coe's at Marion, Kathy Kim's at Baltimore. I mean, we, we're you know, little by little, you're starting to see those opportunities happen. We have GMs that are females, um, but it's it's woefully, woefully and painfully behind. Another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. 
rugged, resilient, and timeless. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.